0: Ahoy, authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to Episode 98 of The Writership Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about storytelling versus telling the story. I'm Leslie Watts here with Clark Chamberlain from The Book Editor Show. To learn more about the podcast, visit writership.com slash podcast.
1: As you know, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Author Marketing Club, home of the new and improved Amazon reviewer grabber tool. You know you need high-quality reviews for your books, so you should use the AMC reviewer grabber tool to quickly and easily locate reviewers that are ready, willing, and able to review your books for you. Become a premium member of AMC now by visiting www.authormarketingclub.com and get instant access to this tool and more. Hey, Clark. Hey, how's it going, Leslie?
0: It's going. 2017 it's... continues its uh, path of destruction.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed it does. So we've had uh, we've had a few weeks off from this, and not because we were out uh, vacationing.
0: <laughs> no, no, sadly we were not in some beautiful place with feet up. It's been sick people, ups and downs,
1: ups and downs, broken Technology. into Facebook, yeah. My goodness, it's been all kinds of fun stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we're just gonna say that it's lots of fodder for our stories and uh and continue to roll. But what's That's exciting right. is we are still approaching the one hundredth episode.
1: Yes. I know. It's uh it's so cool. So just a couple more.
0: Yeah. Um 98 today and Mm -hmm. so we're still collecting questions so if you have some burning questions about editing about stories about storytelling you can send those to us and we'll have a segment on the 100th episode where we will answer those questions so you can send those in to or you can visit www.writership.com slash ask
1: That'll be fun. I'm excited. I love being able to to dive in to questions because one of the things um, I notice, you know, is that I forget that I understand what it is that I'm talking about and sometimes I'm not articulating it well enough, you know, for a class and having those questions is great for me because it's showing me the holes in the teaching and uh, in the editing that needs to take place. So,
0: Oh, that's such a good point. Yes. Yeah. Because I know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But.
1: <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, I mean, and it's the same thing. you know, uh, I'm sure you see it all the time too, when you're editing. Um, you come across something from the author that uh, they they understood it, like mm-hmm. when you have a conversation about it, they knew what they were trying to say, but it didn't come across that way on the page. Right. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you interested in a quote?
0: I am.
1: <laughs> okay. I have one uh, from Robert McKee. Oh, excellent. And uh, he says Our appetite for story is a reflection of the profound human need to grasp the patterns of living, not merely as an intellectual exercise, but within a very personal emotional experience.
0: Well said.
1: Mm hmm. Indeed, it is. So, and that. Yeah. Uh, Emotional experience is so important, you know, that's what what really is going to get a reader to actually share the work with somebody else.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, and I think that this is something that gets missed sometimes, Mm -hmm. is that we're, you know, we have a plot, and the plot is really tight, and we're, you know, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, but there's some... You know the, the the emotional experience isn't always there. In other words, you know, the the topic of the show right is is storytelling versus telling a story and how that's different. And so yeah. we kind of we are gonna, of course, dive deeply into that today. So it's very exciting. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it is. So, and uh, I think this is a great story that we're going to read here in a moment that helps
0: demonstrate that. Yeah. Okay. So we have today Vermilion Dusk and Crimson Dirt by Lane M.M. Wittens. This is a a supernatural light horror, I would call it a horror story, Um, and it's a short story that's... About 1,600 words long. And we have the entire story today. So Clark's going to read that for us now.
1: Every summer I go into the woods for two weeks with only a bedroll and a backpack full of bare necessities. Things like iodine tablets to purify water and a mag stick to start fire in case my lighter dies. A few other things like that. And of course a couple books for days I don't have to gather food. I'm not really a survivalist, and there are always crops a day's hike from where I tend to wander, so I don't have to worry if I forget, if I can't forage or trap some food the old-fashioned way. A fresh spring creek meanders its way through the woods before running into town, so it's not like I have to go uh, divining and digging. Nope, I'm no survivalist. It's just, by the time that the harsh winters come to an end, I need a little solitude and a lot of being out in nature so I wander for a couple of weeks into new areas of the dense woods that surround the quaint town I've lived in my entire 20 years of life. This summer, though, I found something I'd like to share with you. It's a story and a confession from a man that went missing from town a few years back. I was sitting in the hayloft of an old abandoned barn, watching the most majestic, familiar sunset I'd ever seen. It was astonishing in its beauty. I remember thinking, I wish there were a great poet or painter with me to capture nature's elegant magnificence, but you'll have to take for my word for it. It was a beautiful sunset. As darkness pulled its cool blanket over the sky, I was laying my bedroll out on the old but secure floor of the hayloft when a brown piece of leather shining in the lantern's light caught my eye. It was a briefcase holding only a composition book and some old accounting papers, I opened the comp book and read a wholly unbelievable story penned by the missing man from my town. I'll tell you the story in my words, as he was frantically rushing to tell it in what were likely his last days or maybe even hours. Or maybe he's a resident in an asylum somewhere. I used to think that might be the case. I doubted it, though, and now I know that's not how this story ended. Mike was driving home from his job in the city, a long commute where only the threat of deer running out in front of your car kept you alert while you were on the last leg of the trip. Mike's car broke down, and his cell phone went dead along with his laptop, so he couldn't call anybody or even leave a digitally preserved note. His Mercedes had quit working entirely, and when the headlights came back on, he had a brief moment of hope. Then he saw her, a young woman in a white dress, looking windswept and sullen, her hair flowed like thick pools of burnt umber liquid over her serene face. She stood picturesque in a slantly way as the glare of the headlights shone upon her. Without warning, she flew violently at his car and slammed into the hood, hitting the windshield and caving it in before being thrown into the air and hitting the road behind his car, surely dead. Mike screamed and looked out his rear window to see. Nothing at all. When he turned back to his windshield, it was intact, and his headlights faded slowly into the darkness of the night that had Mike questioning his very sanity. He didn't take time to gather his thoughts. He fled his car and left it alone with that cool autumn night and ran down the road. He came to a halt when the woman appeared in front of him, this time wearing the jeans and dark T-shirt she'd been donning the last time he'd seen her 20 years before. The bloody mask that had failed to haunt Mike's dreams were now haunting his terrified conscious mind. No, Mike screamed as he ran aimlessly into the woods. The apparition materialized and psychonetically flung a branch into his head. Then she was gone again. She would appear to change his direction periodically, each time appearing more and more disheveled and decomposed after running most of the night. Mike made his way to the barn that I found myself in some years later and wrote his story along with his confession. Tammy Somerset went missing 20 years ago today, October 3rd, 1991, and I know what happened to her. I killed her. She was a neighbor of mine, and I even helped the search party look for her. I was 17 and driving drunk when I hit her, right where my car died. I dug a hole after dragging her body out to the marsh and threw her in the swamp water that was filling her shallow grave I covered her with the dirt and mud. I never told a soul. I wish I could tell you I was writing this due to the guilt I feel. But if I'm being honest, I just hope a confession will prevent her spirit from killing me. Even if I'm merely confessing the paper, it must count for something. I was just a dumb kid. I didn't mean to kill her. And besides, going to prison wouldn't have brought her back. So I didn't tell anyone. I'm sorry she died, though. But like I said, me being in prison wouldn't have helped her. This Mike was a real piece of shit. He says he felt bad, but his actions say he was nothing more than a sociopath harboring endless cowardice. Hell, he was only three years younger than I am. Blaming his youth is acceptable for things like being a jackass to the cute girl, but not for killing someone or disposing of the body for Christ's sake. He never knew it, but his car was found the next day in perfect working order with a half tank of petrol. And, of course, Mike was nowhere to be found. Anyway, he decided to hide out for the night in the barn and make his way to his car at dawn. He never made it, and I don't think a man like that really deserved to make it out of those woods. Maybe that makes me a bad person. But I've talked to some of the folks in town about Tammy Somerset, and I realize people often see the dead through rose-colored glasses, but this girl was well-loved and loved well. I can see that much in the eyes of her friends and family. I don't know if I'm losing my mind or not, but I'm damn certain that Tammy has been visiting me and asking me to tell the people of this town that loved her what Mike did to her. You'd think a ghost materializing in your bedroom at night would be a scary thing, but with her, it's not. She's a sweet, beautiful 19-year-old girl. Under different circumstances, I'd have asked her to dinner. I even told her that last night. And get this, ghosts can blush and grow bashful. Tammy told me where Mike buried her. I have no idea how I'm going to explain how I found her body without sounding like a lunatic, but I'm not leaving Tammy alone in the swamp to save face either. I'm glad that she'll finally be getting the burial she deserves and her friends and family will at least get some closure. But right now I have to get this taken care of and that's why I'm keeping this story short. I'm heading over to Chuck's house to give him the comp book. He's a cop. His dad's the mayor and his wife is the town's biggest gossip. So everyone will know pretty quickly what became of Tammy Somerset. The only part I don't want to do is lead them to the body. I guess I'll just tell them that I found her on my hike this summer. It's a weak ass story, but it's all that I can come up with. Maybe I'll tell them I'm a powerful psychic on a mission to help. Nope. Definitely not happening. God, I hope I don't want I hope they don't want me to be there when they unearth her. I don't think I can handle that. The townsfolks will, of course, attribute Mike's disappearance to some kind of psychological breakdown, but I'm pretty sure he was saying, for a sociopath anyway, I'll be the only living person to know what actually happened to Mike, Tammy told me last night. Outside the loft where I saw that vermilion sunset is where the dirt ran crimson as Mike breathed his dying breaths. She hadn't meant to kill him, only scare him into a confession. But when he backed away from her, he stumbled and fell from the hayloft, landing headfirst on a rock. I imagine the coyotes and vultures took care of the remains. It's hard to believe, but, as I, but I was up half the night comforting a ghost, telling her things like she's a good person and she hadn't meant to kill him. I'm so glad he wrote that confession because now my actions can afford Tammy Somerset the peace she more than deserves after all these years. She'll be going into the next world soon but maybe not until after the funeral. I'm truly going to miss spending my evenings with her, and I selfishly hope she'll stick around to keep me company, though the selfishness is only fleeting. In actuality, I'm glad that she'll be getting to where she belongs, and she assures me that she'll be there when it's my time to be with her. It'll be a bittersweet goodbye when she goes, but aren't all true goodbyes bittersweet?
0: Aren't they all? <laughs> <laughs> they
1: are <laughs> Everyone. <laughs>
0: oh, this is really this is such a great story. It you know it's a really good setup. I think with lots of uh, really fun. Ele- I mean, fun. It's not really fun, <laughs> but but to the storyteller, great elements. The there's some really lovely lines in here. Mm-hmm. I found the. Oh, the line where she was she was well loved and loved well. I mm-hmm. love I really liked that line. And there was another one that I was like, oh, that's just, you know, just really lovely. So we have a lot of great stuff in here, but I also found myself having struggling with the framing story or the mm-hmm. you know, because we have yeah. we have the story of the narrator who's conveying the information to us. And then we also have, of course, Tammy's and Tammy and Mike's story. And so we, you know, I was kind of pointing out different things like this part doesn't work very well. And, you know, exactly like that. I felt like we had in the very beginning, we had a lot of information conveyed that I wasn't sure was relevant and then there were a few places where I was kind of confused what the the narr- narrator's viewpoint in time was, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. And so I was kind of pointing out these individual things. And then you had this – you kind of tied it all together, which was really lovely.
1: Yeah. So because um, what we – like you said, we have a frame story that's taking place here. But in the middle where – the where the story should move into more full scene uh we're still getting this story being told we're, we're, the narrator is telling us the story and we're not actually getting into storytelling what should be taking place here and there's like you said there's amazing concepts in here it's a lot of again quote unquote fun you know it's certainly not fun for the people involved with it but it's just you know communicating with ghosts finding a confession gaining justice Um, and the fact that it's being told as a story are all just great elements, but the storytelling's missing. And so, and I think we also are too, too much. The ideas are too big for 1600 words. It can still be a short story, but I think you're going to have to take it out another, maybe even another thousand words to be able to add to this stuff in. And so my ideas here is, you know, we start in full scene with the narrator that's again, never named talking with this guy, Chuck. Because you know, he's telling somebody this story. So that would be mm-hmm. our opening for our frame there. And then we use additional telling perhaps with transitions between the important scenes where we we could even come back out to this uh, where he's telling Chuck and Chuck's giving him nods or they're drinking tea or whatever. But it's just something that's small with those. And then we're, we're in the actual important scenes in full scene as if we're watching um, Mike uh, and... Tammy going through what's happening, their confrontations with the ghost, making the decision to either share or hide the book because Mike is certainly having all these types of crazy emotions when he's writing this stuff down. And what is, what does that actually mm-hmm. feel like though? Cause yeah. we don't, yeah, we're being told what it feels like. You've told that he feels crazy, but to actually experience a crazy feeling, will have more power in this story. And then of course, you know, when we come back out at the end of this frame story, and this can work really well in short stories and, um, Also in novels where you're not going to have a a follow-up or a series, but you can leave it open-ended and make, you know, is the narrator crazy? You know, is Chuck going to believe him? Is the narrator actually the one who killed Tammy? You know, like these are types of things you could leave it open for people to ask those questions at the end. Mm -hmm. But following that kind of structure, because we need to have that. Again, the difference between telling a story and storytelling is the emotional connection that you can actually feel in it and the experience as if you are actually there taking part.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking that it would also be interesting to see the, to see Tammy's ghost visiting Mm -hmm. the narrator in his bedroom. Like I was thinking those are key moments that I would, instead of, well, yeah, you might think this is kind of weird, but, It was kind of cool and, you know, but to actually have him experiencing it Mm -hmm. and and see the scene where that's happening and that kind of creating some mystery. Like we don't know what we don't know what she's trying to that she's trying to communicate something, but we don't know exactly what it is. until perhaps he goes on, you know, goes into the woods that summer and. And we as we you and I were talking about this before recording, we were we were throwing out lots of different ideas. Like what if Mike is um, has actually sort of dissociated this part of himself and that the narrator is Mike? And mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there are different ages and, and that. But but there are a lot of uh, um, opportunities, I would say, to turn this into a really powerful story with the additional scene work. So being in scene rather than summary mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, and, and not revealing, you know, like being really strategic about the details that are revealed.
1: Right. You know, um, from the beginning, we know pretty much exactly what's happening and, if, you know, it's a story, like there's the line that says, it's a story and a confession from a man that went missing from, a, from town a few years back. But if we held some of that information, you know, it's a story, I'm not even sure that I should be telling you this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, uh, and then, it, cause we want to add the mystery to it. Mystery is important in every single story that you tell and mystery is easily created by just holding back information and piecing it out at the right time, you know, that, I think this is the guy who went missing. I think, you know, I found this book and I want to tell you about it, but I don't even know if you're going to believe me. And just building this up to why, why, what, what is it, you know, (laughs) what could have possibly happened?
0: Yeah. And I also think that the scene where, you know, he's kind of dreading a little bit having to say, okay, this is where her body is and explaining that, how does he know Uh, Because that's going to be a difficult, like that's going to be a difficult thing to do. So I kind of want to see that. And I don't know if that's a sort of, um, I don't know if that makes me a bad person, (laughs) as the the narrator said. But I think that, you know, if we see those really gut-wrenching scenes, that it's going to be, it is going to be really powerful. And so want to kind of like, exp- you know, wrap this up in a bow, essentially, or in a, a clear way, mm-hmm. you know, exactly what we're saying. Because we were, what we were talking about earlier, about how we can, uh, how we know what we mean, but we want to make sure that we're conveying what we mean, is that we have, we're getting a lot of information through the narrator's telling. Mhm. But we're not getting a lot of scenes. We get the one scene, you know, where the uh, where Mike is driving home and he sees the, you know, his car stops working and pulls over and he sees the ghost and she comes at the car and and he has that moment. And so we're kind of, we're in the scene of you know, more so in mm-hmm. that moment than some of the others. And I think that those pieces where we do that are more powerful. And then it would be easier, I think, for us to see, to see what's happening, because there are a lot of, you know, a lot of L-Y adverbs and a lot of adjectives mm-hmm. that are used in here. And I think that that's in part because we have a lot of telling versus, you know, actually seeing the scene.
1: Yeah. And so this is a, here's a clear example of how you would change this. So taking that exactly what you were talking about this, the actual scene where Mike's car breaks down. So, cause what we want to do to move from the idea of telling the story to storytelling is we have to remove portions of the narrations, narrator's voice. And so when we come in here, we've got we we start it with Mike was driving home from his job in the city, a long commute. You, you understand it's a long commute that you know the only way you're staying awake is by because you're trying to watch out for deer running across you. And then at that moment, the narrator is going to go away, and then we would go into you know Mike looked down at his gauges. And saw, you know, that they were going back and forth and he started to lose control of the car. Like you would actually get into that scene of the car breaking down and you would get him. He would be walking out of the car and looking at his cell phone and the cell phone is dead. And how does that make him feel? And his laptop's dead and he's freaking out. So because what you don't want to do, though, is come back in where we have this Mike's car broke down and his cell phone went dead along with his laptop. So he couldn't call anybody or even leave a digitally preserved note. Cause that's clearly the narrator telling a story. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do this. He couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So instead of that, you have, what does Mike feel because his cell phone is dead and his laptop is dead
0: mm-hmm.
1: and his car is dead. You know, what is going through his mind at that moment? And then that sets up a feeling of, of, you know, craziness a little bit of craziness because I don't understand why all my electronics are not working Mm -hmm. and then start trying to start the car again and the headlights come on and then we see the girl you know like all of this stuff is done in full scene so that we can really experience what Mike is feeling and then when we come back from it you know you would have this full scene deal here and Maybe it's when he runs off aimlessly into the woods. Then we come back, you know, after this whole deal of him running and fleeing from the ghost and then coming back on it where he's like, and I think it was Tammy. I think it was Tammy Somerset who went missing all these years ago. You know, like that's the storyteller coming back in and saying what's happening before you would get to that confession, you know, that the, that we'd come back out of the story uh, out of our frame there to be the narrator talking about it again of what he discovered and still not knowing everything, and then going back into a full scene, Does that make sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, as as we're talking about this, and th- I'm thinking, okay, so the own, you know, what, I'm trying to play devil's advocate. What would be, you know, what would be the potential difficulty with that? And, you know, we it would be difficult in a way because we don't have, because... As far as we know, the narrator wasn't actually there. Right. Um, and so he doesn't have the point of view. Or he ha- he de- he's not actually perceiving it. So it's a little, you know, we have to come up with a, a way to make that work. Mm-hmm. But if Mike has written out everything and the narrator has a very vivid imagination... Like, mm-hmm. he could be, like, he's creating in his mind what he thinks right. happened.
1: Yeah, because, I'm oh, sorry, because that's exactly what the narrator has told us in the beginning. He says, I'll tell you the story of my words, as yeah. he was frantically rushing to tell it uh, as if it was his last hours. So, you know, so we, we can establish that, you know, making it clear that, that's, that this is going to be from his words. Yeah, and, becomes the storyteller, right? I mean, I don't, I think uh, if you've never been to actually a live storytelling event, you need to do it. Like you need to go out there and actually participate in a live, with a live storyteller, like someone who's actually telling a story. And then you can see how this sets up because they're all framed stories, you know, that they're the, the storyteller is starting with some information and then goes into it and then like takes over the characters, you know, those voices for the different characters. And so it really immerses the actual story with the audience.
0: Yeah. Get, that's oh, the ahead.
1: same kind of thing that you're wanting to do here.
0: Yeah. And we know that the narrator has a an active or full inner life because mm-hmm. he's able to go off into the woods for a couple weeks at a time. Yeah. So he's definitely got enough going on in his mind that he could read even a sort of bland description or you know telling of just the facts and turn it into this really rich scene with you Mm. know with visual and smells and sounds and all of the you know sensory details filling those in for us which would be really cool
1: yeah and then also it helps build an idea for an open-ended story at the end Mm -hmm. because then the reader comes away with saying well, how did he know all that? He, you know, unless he had been there, unless he had, you know, did he kill Mike? Did he, Was he out camping during that time period and ran into this guy and shoved him off, you know, or, you know, like whatever it is, you know. But this whole idea of of uh, how does he know so much, which is that question you could leave the the reader with at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And also the of course, what's yeah, what's gonna happen next? Mm -hmm. Is Chuck gonna believe him? What happens when he says he knows where the body is? Does he have to reveal (laughs) Yeah, this ghost has been visiting me in my bedroom at night Uh and she's really cool and if she weren't dead we would maybe date and you know, so it's 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 such a great setup and those scenes would be so juicy. So I would love to see them.
1: Uh, uh-huh. and, and, uh, although your typical frame story usually, uh, starts and then goes immersive and then doesn't come back out until the end, but it doesn't mean that it has to be that way. Uh, the princess bride is a great example of mm-hmm. them coming back out of the story a few times, um, to talk, you know, with each other and whether they should continue the story. And so that same kind of thing can happen here is it Chuck, could be you know if that's the person that he's telling the story to chuck could be asking questions and could pull him out of the story but how did you know that she was beautiful girl and you might be interested in her oh because she's been visiting me at night what (laughs) you know like you could have him being hesitant about telling the next part and then he starts telling about how the girl has been visiting him and then you're like, is this guy crazy? <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's so much you can do here. And it's I love this type of stuff where you, the story has everything in it and it mm-hmm. knows what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And this is why having an editor is so important because the editor can help you say, I can see what your story is trying to do. And here's some ideas that you can go in and actually connect these things together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just had the thought that it would be cool as an experiment to write this from Chuck's perspective, from his point of view. And that would give you a lot of information, too. So if the narrator (gasps) went and, you know, knocked on Chuck's door at night and started telling this crazy tale, Mm -hmm. then that's another way that it could, you know, that's another way of framing the story to reveal certain things but not other things.
1: Yeah. No, that's really a good one. I, I like that idea. That'd be fun. Because then you could have... you could Because you already have a bias here from the narrator because it's going to be their point of view. But that bias can still come out with Chuck and then you can have Chuck questioning what's happening and wondering to himself. Because he could then actually see how our storyteller is telling the story. Is he make, keeping eye contact? Is he looking away at certain points? These types of things that could then add to the truthfulness or the untruth of the story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And creating more questions. and Right. Ooh. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> well, if you know where her body is, why don't we go out there tonight and find yeah. it?
0: Yeah. Oh, but I feel a little funny about that. Chuck?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, you know, I'm not sure that I want to, yeah. So, I mean, there's just yes. so much stuff you could do with this.
0: <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. So we have the, we have, we'll have, we have inline comments and suggestions that we'll include in the, um, in the show notes that are more picky things. But, but overall, I think that there's so many, really excellent elements here and that just kind of moving them around and and tweaking the frame story would make it so powerful and i agree with you with you clark that i almost called you chuck Um, (laughs) (laughs) i agree with you clark
1: no problem lisa
0: there uh that that you could that the that the author could slow down a little and tell this in more words. I think that mm-hmm. it's, it's a gripping enough story that they would, that the reader will be willing to stick with it even longer. Oh, yeah. So,
1: Oh yeah. So, I mean, you could even, you could probably even extend it to novella length if you were getting real in depth with these scenes.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Another thing I keep thinking of things <laughs> I was thinking of, it would be really, it it would be interesting because I love that line that she was well loved and loved well. Right. But it would be so good for us to see that.
1: Mm-hmm. For, you know, yeah. what,
0: what, is the, what is the narrator's experience of that?
1: And how that happen? And then also, because then that just helps build um, more emotional connection mm-hmm. that the reader would then feel for who's dying here. And what it matters. Why does it matter? So. Yeah. But yeah. Do you, would you have a, happen to have a editorial mission I, that would go along with this?
0: I actually do. That's I actually so, do. so weird. <laughs> so the editorial mission is to assess storytelling versus telling a story. The key is that you can't have emotions through the telling of the story are not as powerful as you can when you are storytelling. So review the critical moments within your scenes, and check to see that you are in scene that those powerful moments, we're actually experiencing. You know, as readers, we get to experience those things rather than just hearing about them. So transitions Are, you know, absolutely, you can tell those, convey those through exposition. But when you are getting to those really gut wrenching moments, then we want to allow the reader to experience those. So, Just a reminder that you can go to writership.com slash episodes to sign up to get the editorial missions delivered right to your inbox, which is a great solution if you're usually listening to the podcast while you're on the go. And a special reminder to stop by writership.com slash ask to leave us your burning questions about editing and storytelling for the 100th episode.
1: Yes, that's going to be a lot of fun. So, And uh, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Club, which you can find at www.authormarketingclub.com. Don't forget, when you become a premium member today, you'll gain access to the new and improved Amazon reviewer grabber tool.
0: Before we go, I want to say, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. If you want to have your five pages reviewed, please visit writership.com slash submissions. And finally, be sure to check out episodes of the book editor show, which Clark hosts with Peter Turley. That's it for episode 98. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to
1: writership.org forward slash podcast.